Amen. I want to invite you to um, turn your Bibles to two openings of Scripture, Joshua chapter 1 and Proverbs chapter 4. Joshua chapter 1 and Proverbs chapter 4. We'll start in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. This is God speaking to Joshua who's just taken over the leadership of the children of Israel after Moses has departed. God said to Joshua, giving him instructions on how to be successful in in, uh, leading his people. He said, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. Um, obviously, the uh, the thing that draws our attention to this verse of Scripture, and I trust all of you are very familiar with it. You should be. Everybody should be, I think. But where it talks about this book of the law, that's all the word of God that they had. As time went on and, and uh, the Holy Ghost moved on others to, to uh, write letters that were saved for the church, then, uh, then the book of the law expanded a great deal. So we might say in our application, since we're not living under the law, we might say uh, for our application, this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now, folks, the key to success is the key to being prosperous and Uh, successful in anything and everything that we do is very simply stated in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 and that is to do the word to do the word but notice something else it would have been real easy for him to to uh, for God to say to Joshua now if you'll just be a doer of the word everything will work out great but he told him some things that lead to doing the word the way that that the Bible identifies uh, us in putting the word first and utilizing the word successfully in our lives in whatever we're doing, whatever we put our hand to, is to speak the word first and then become a doer. Now, with that in mind, turn to Proverbs chapter 4. You realize, of course, that uh, the Bible is progressive revelation. The further you go, the more you see and the more you learn. Well, here's God speaking to the children of Israel. And to us, thank God for us too. But he's speaking to the children of Israel, identifying a a principle, a step-by-step principle to see God move in your life. We'll start in verse 20. He said, my son, attend to my words. He's going to describe what that means. Now, we're going to make some comparisons back and forth. So forgive me for jumping without uh, turning back in the in the Bible to, to the, the uh, former passage. But in Joshua 1, 8, where it says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do it. Surely we all recognize that he's saying, put the word first. Anything you do day and night, it's got to be a pretty high priority. So when he says, This book of the law, or this word of God for us, shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. He's saying the same thing. That Solomon's saying in Proverbs chapter 4, where he said, My son attended to my words. Both scriptures identify the characteristics, the method, if you will, of putting the word first in your life. In Proverbs chapter 4, the first thing that he mentions as a part of attending to the word is incline your ear to my sayings. In other words, he's saying, Listen to what God said about whatever situation you encounter. 
Incline your ear unto my sayings. Notice the next thing that he said. Let them not depart from before thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. All these are steps. All these are a part of that which is described or referred to as putting the word first in your life. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now let me back up and make a couple of comments, and and then we'll refer to these uh, scriptures and others as well. When the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that God uh, declared, where God declared his plan for man, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the the work of our hands, over all the things of the earth. When it says that we were made in the image and likeness of God, we're so naturally geared to thinking about appearance that many people just assume that that means God made mankind to look like him. Now, there's, there's scriptural evidence to back that up. You remember in Exodus chapter 33 where Moses stood before the Lord and said, show me your glory. And God said, you can't see my face and live. No human being can see my face and live. Well, God must have a face. If he just told Moses that he's not able to look at his face and, and stay alive, make it through living, then he's got to have a face. He, but then God went on to say, but here's what I'll do. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and put my hand over you. So God must have a hand. Where the Bible talks about over and over again in the Old Testament that the hand of the Lord or the hand of God was upon somebody, that must not just be a, figurative, a means of figurative speech. He's saying he's got a hand. And then he said, I'll pass by thee. I'll cause all my glory, my mercy to pass by thee and then allow you to see my back parts. So God's got to have a front if he's got a back. Well, that sounds a lot like man, doesn't it? It talks about the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth. Well, if God doesn't have eyes, what is that supposed to mean? So there is evidence that man was created in appearance similar to God. But that's not what Genesis 126 is really talking about. At least not the important part. Where he says, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. He's saying that God, made, God is, the scripture is telling us that God made man in a certain way that was higher than anything else he's ever created. Higher than the angels. Psalm 8 talks about the angel's surprise at this point in time where God said, let us make man in our own image. The angel said, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you visited him. You've made him a little lower. King James says that they declared you've made him a little lower than the angels. But that word angels is the word Elohim. It means the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The angels are marveling because God made man like himself, not below the angels. The Bible says that we'll judge the angels at the end. Well, we couldn't judge them if we were below them. There's a plan. There's a part of God's plan for us that identifies even at this point in time when we can't see the things to come, but identifies even at this point in time that we are a higher class of being than the angels. Now, what makes us a higher class of being than even the angels? Certainly everything on the earth. But what makes us a higher class of being than the angels? Well, the Bible says in John chapter 4, when the woman at the well of Samaria asked Jesus some questions, Jesus said, God is a spirit. He didn't say God is spirit. He said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. 
So one of the things that we can see readily right off the bat is that God made man a spirit being, an eternal spirit being, and nothing else on the earth is. But another aspect or another part of being made in the image and likeness of God is that man is the only creature, it's the only thing that God ever created that can communicate in words that produce pictures. Now I want to let that sink in for a little bit. God made man in his image with the ability to communicate just like God communicates with words that create images or pictures within our our soul and our spirit. When God said the creation story tells us about God looking into the earth, the earth had become without form and void. It didn't create it that way, but it had become that way, probably because of Satan's fall. If not that, I don't know why. But he looked at the earth and he said, let there be light. What is he doing? He's communicating what he sees within himself. And man is the only creature. It's the only created being that can do that. Now, if I say house, you don't think of the word spelled H-O-U-S-E. You think of your house or some house. If I say dog, then you don't think of the word dog, D-O-G. You think of whatever represents a dog to you. If you have dogs for pets, that's probably the first thing that you think of. But if we talk descriptively, if we expand our words to communicate more descriptively, then maybe we could say the house was on 100 acres of good farmland. It had a red barn in the back of the field with a silo. Well, everybody's thinking pretty much the same thing. I may have a different shaped house in mind than you come up with, but we're all on the same page. Now, here's why that's important. Back at Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, let's consider again what God told Joshua is the keys to success. He said, let not this word or this book of the law, this word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth, but, that, but you shall meditate therein day and night to observe to do all that's written therein. And that's what will make your way prosperous, and that's what will give you good success, the Bible says. Now, what happens when we meditate in the Word? When we meditate in the Word, when we consider more than just reading through and glance, you know, passing glance at Scriptures, but when we read the Word and really consider what He's saying, it creates the picture that the Scripture identifies. For example, if the Bible says, and thank God it does, where the Bible says Jesus was wounded for our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we were healed. Well, what does that create? That creates a picture on the inside of us. For some, that might create a picture of Jesus on the cross. For others, it might uh, create a picture of Jesus being beaten in Pilate's court and the, the blood that was shed there. Probably the difference between those two pictures, one person having one part of that picture Jesus on the cross the other person seeing Jesus beaten in Pilate's court probably the difference there is going to be the knowledge that you or I or whoever else is involved has of the story of Jesus sacrifice the more we know the more descriptive that picture will get the more studious we are to learn what the Bible says about what happened on our behalf then the more detail that picture takes on but it's still communicating in words that produce pictures And when Joshua, God told Joshua in chapter 1 and verse 8 to meditate in the word of God day and night. One meaning of that word meditate is to mutter, to say to yourself again and again and again. 
Now, why is that? Remember, the ultimate goal for success is to be a doer of the word. To be a doer of the word. But God seems to be saying, you will only do what you see, and you will only see what you say. The principle that God lays out for Joshua to have success, and if it works for Joshua, it's got to work for the rest of us. The principle that he's laying out is to take the word of God, which communicates pictures to see on the inside of you, and then live according to the picture that you see, and that will bring you into success. Now compare that to Proverbs chapter 4, the scripture we just read. My son, attend unto my words. What does it mean to attend unto his word? It means, to, first of all, it means to incline your ear to his sayings. Now, what will inclining your ear to his sayings do for you? Obviously, he's talking about the word of God. What happens when we hear the word of God? It creates pictures on the inside of us. It creates pictures. It's supposed to. We're made in the image of God. God communicates to us information that produces pictures on the inside of us for the purpose of taking action on those scriptures or according to those pictures within. And it's when we have the right picture on the inside that you can only get by hearing and hearing the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When we get a knowledge of the word of God to see the right picture through saying the right things, then we have something to act on. And that's what brings us success. In Proverbs chapter 4, it goes on to say, keep them in the midst of thine heart. Or first of all, it says, let them not depart from thine eyes. What does that mean? Does that mean we're supposed to keep our natural eyes, our physical eyes buried in the Bible all day long? No, he's talking about what you see on the inside of you. He's saying if we'll incline our ear to his sayings, the word of God, then that will produce pictures that we are to keep in front of our face or keep before our eyes all the time. And then he says, keep your heart with all diligence. Well, what does that have to do with? That has to do with not letting anything get in and mess up your picture. Don't spoil the picture. Because out of your heart, where you make confessions, where you speak words that create pictures, where you communicate like God communicates to create the right pictures based on the right words that you've heard, learned, and meditated in. That's when you'll have good success. That's when your heart, your spirit will produce the issues of life. Now, with that in mind, turn with me over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Let's start in verse 21. He says, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Where he says, put away filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. He's simply saying this. He's not saying don't keep sinning. It has nothing to do with sinning. Notice the context here. He said, lay apart these evil things, every evil thing, literally, And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. What does it mean to save your soul? He's writing to people that are born again. He's writing to Christians that have been spirit filled. What in the world is he talking about saving the soul for? Well the soul is the mind, will and the emotions. The soul is where we first pick up on the pictures that the word of God creates. And communicates. 
And notice what he says. He says, receive with meekness the engrafted word, the word that takes hold or takes root on the inside of us through the pictures that the word communicates. Folks, it works the same way for all of us. There's not anybody out there that doesn't think in pictures like you do. We all do. We're created that way. And so where he says, lay apart all fields and it is superfluity of naughtiness, he's got to be saying, lay apart or separate yourself from everything that produces the wrong picture. Everything that produces a picture that's contrary to the picture of the word of God is designed to create within you. And as you receive the engrafted word, which is the same thing, is this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. It's exactly the same thing in Proverbs chapter 4, different words, but Proverbs chapter 4, my son attend to my words. It's all talking about the same thing. It's describing it in different ways, but it's saying exactly the same thing. And notice where that has an impact on you, in your soul, in your soul. He's talking about picking up accepting and maintaining the right picture of yourself. Can you imagine what the modern day church would be if we saw ourselves the way God sees us? And God always tells the truth. So the way God sees us, the way the Bible identifies that God has seen us or made provisions for us, that's who we really are. Whether we ever live up to it or not, that's who we are. Well, why don't we live up to it? Remember the progression from Joshua 1.8. The, the book of the law or the word of God communicates pictures. God intends for his word to cause you to see something. How do those pictures come? From what you say. So say the word. See what the word. See yourself like the word describes. And then become a doer of the word according to that picture. And you'll win in life every time. Every time. Now, let's don't leave it here in James chapter 1. Let's keep reading. He says, lay apart everything else, everything that produces the wrong picture within, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Well, God told Joshua about being a doer of the word. That's the ultimate in bringing the ultimate means of success is doing the right things. But you're not going to do the right things unless you see the right things. Unless you've got the right picture. And you're not going to have the right picture unless you're saying the right things. Say, see, do. It's God's principle that stands throughout the whole of the word. He said, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. Now beholding his face in the glass is talking about looking in a mirror. Now, what happens when you and I look in a mirror? We see an image. Now, he's not talking about, he's using the example of looking into a natural mirror, but he's really trying to identify that the word is the mirror we're supposed to be looking in. The word is that which has that source, which has the picture of us according to God, according to God's image of us. So he says, if you're a doer of the word, or he starts off with a hearer and not a doer. He says, for he beholds himself in a glass or in a mirror. Notice verse 24, for he beholdeth himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. In other words, he doesn't maintain the picture. He doesn't keep the picture first and foremost in his eyes, before his eyes. 
So he's contrary, he's operating contrary to what Proverbs chapter 4 is talking about, where he said, let them, my words, not depart from before your eyes. The doer, or the, I'm sorry, the hearer and not the doer, sees the picture, but doesn't hold on to it. He hears somebody else perhaps declare what God wants for us and how God sees us, but he doesn't make it a part of himself, his innermost being, because he doesn't keep up with it and speak it. He doesn't meditate on what he's heard. He might have even gotten excited about somebody saying, this is how God sees you. He might have gotten excited about the knowledge or in the knowledge that something belongs to him that he's not taking advantage of, that he's not living out in his life. But that excitement's not the thing that's going to get him from point A to point B. The excitement's not what's going to get him to the place of success. He's going to have to meditate in the word of God. And again, one of the meanings of the word meditate is to mutter, to say to yourself over and over and over again. That's clearly what God's talking to Joshua about. This book of the law, this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. Well, as soon as you say it, it's gone. So how are you going to keep it from departing in your mouth? Say it again and say it again and say it again. What happens? Well, if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word like the bible says so then every time you're speaking according to the book of this law or the word of god for us book of the law for joshua word of god for us every time you say it it reinforces the picture and the picture becomes more and more ingrained into who you really see yourself to be so he looks in the glass he looks in the mirror he sees what god declares him to be but because he's not a doer but because he doesn't solidify that that picture on the inside of it he gets away from the mirror and forgets all about the picture that god wants him to have the picture of himself that god provided for him but verse 25 whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty he's talking about the word of god Whoever realizes the word is the mirror to see himself in and continueth therein. How do you continue therein? Just like God told Joshua, meditate day and night. Say it to yourself over and over and over again. And continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying the way to be a doer of the word is to say the word of God to yourself over and over and over again. Now, what is that going to do? It's going to communicate an image. The image is from God because he's the the originator of the word. He's the source and the author of the word of God. So any word of God, any scripture that we take and meditate in, we're gaining knowledge of the picture according to the truth of God's revelation. Now, let's take a step back and consider this a little bit. If you've ever been into a sales position, if you're a salesman now, whatever you're selling, whether it's cars, shoes, or whatever, you know as well as I do that there are all kinds of training classes, all kinds of, I don't know what to call them, uh, courses that you can take, self-help books you can get. And every one of those is going to try to convince you to say certain things about yourself And to see yourselves as being able to succeed. They found with great certainty 
that if a person don't, doesn't see themselves, no matter how talented they may be, how well they may be able to describe the product or, or communicate or anything else, no matter what their abilities or gifts might be, if they don't see themselves successful in their sales position, they'll fail every time. And self-help course after self-help course is designed to get you to see yourself usually in a different way than you start off seeing yourself. There are life coaches and all kinds of things you can get involved in and spend all kinds of money on that's designed for one thing, and that is to get you to see or believe about yourself that you can do it. Because they've identified if a guy doesn't have, man or woman, doesn't matter. If somebody doesn't have the right picture or the right image of themselves in their job or concerning their job, they won't succeed. I wonder where they got that idea. It's been in the Bible all the time. It's been in the Bible all the time. Turn back with me to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Now, folks, nobody's arguing here that these guys are doing the right thing. Everybody knows that what they're planning to do and what they set out to do is contrary to the plan and purpose of God. It has nothing to do with worshiping God. It has to do with making a name for themselves. Now, the tower they want to build is to reach into heaven. There's, uh, There's a lot of good commentary. I don't know that we can say definitively one way or the other, but it's interesting to consider. There's a lot of commentary that they're trying to exalt themselves above the throne of God, just like Satan said he would do when God cast him out. Now, building a tower up into heaven, do they know what that means? How far are they going to get? God can't be just against towers because there are skyscrapers and stuff like that that have been built in nearly every major city of the world that put this plan to shame. So God's not concerned about them getting too high. He's concerned about their purpose. Now, if God had some other consideration or other concerns about it than just that, why didn't he leave them alone? Once they built up to about 15,000 feet, the oxygen would wear out, run out, and they'd all drop off and fall off like flies. Now, there's a, there's a principle here that he's trying to get across. Notice he says... Because they're one, because they're united, they're speaking the same thing. They're making the same pictures available in all the people. Whatever they're talking about, whatever their plan is, whatever they've outlined as their means of getting this done, it's created the same picture in everybody. 
they're joined, they're united. And in those conditions, nothing that man imagines will be impossible to him. I think this goes back, I see a lot of this going back to Genesis chapter 1 where he gave man authority on the earth. Now God's saying, he's identifying that even people that are operating contrary to his will without God's plan or a part of God in their lives, but doing something for themselves, for their own benefit, to make a name for themselves. He said even people with wicked purposes, if they're united and operating according to the same pictures, in each of the individuals, not just this picture in the leader's mind or heart and a different picture on, in the hearts of everybody else, but with everybody operating according to the same picture and acting accordingly, he said nothing will be impossible for him to do. So what does God do? He attacks their speech. He's got to change the image. He's got to change the image. So when God sees that they're operating an evil purpose, it says, go to, let us go down. God says, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. He's got to stop the words from making the, right, or making the wrong pictures in their case. He's got to keep their words from creating the picture for them to follow. In this case, following outside or contrary to the will of God. So he changes what they say because the principle is say, see, do. If he changes what they say or their ability to communicate in what they're saying, then he can keep them from seeing the wrong thing and keep them from being successful in their plans contrary to God. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll start reading in verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Notice what he says these strongholds are. Casting down imaginations. What are imaginations? Imaginations are the pictures that you have inside because of the things that you've been saying or hearing. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. He's simply saying that our Christian development, our Christian growth, the means of receiving and taking hold of anything and everything that God has provided for us, is to take down or cast down, change, in other words, the wrong pictures that we have of ourselves because of not hearing the right things, not hearing the word, and every other high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, what does the knowledge of God do? It creates the right picture. The word communicated creates the right picture. But the strongholds in our lives, the things that hold us back from being everything that God intended for us to be, from receiving everything that Jesus has provided for us. The, the barrier is called a stronghold, those barriers that keep us out of the things of God. And notice what Paul says. He doesn't just say, let the Holy Ghost purge you of all these things. 
He says it's your job and my job. He says we have to cast down those imaginations. We've got to do away with the wrong pictures. You know why most Christians are unsuccessful in life? Frustrated because they don't realize what they see in the Bible, see that the Bible says is theirs. The number one reason is they haven't renewed their mind or we'll use this terminology. They haven't pulled down the wrong pictures, the wrong thoughts meditated on that have created the wrong pictures, thoughts and, and images of failure rather than images of success. When Brother Hagin was uh, uh, in his sick bed, the 16 months, I believe it was, that he spent uh, on his back, almost completely paralyzed, not quite, but pretty close to completely paralyzed. He said that once he saw the word of God, got a hold of the word of God, he said there were certain things that he struggled with. He said the hardest part, he said, I was confessing the word. He says, I'm making my confessions. I was taking the word at face value as much as he understood, as much as he knew. But he said, I kept seeing myself dead. He said, I saw the funeral. Now, of course, when he says he saw these things, he imagined them. And you can well understand that the devil would certainly want to put these kind of pictures in him just like he does with you and me. But he said, I saw them at the funeral. He said, I saw everybody gathered around. I saw mama and saw granny and and the others that he mentioned. He said, I saw the coffin. He said, I saw them close the lid on the coffin. He said, I saw them lower the, the coffin into the ground. He said, I saw them shoveling dirt on top of the coffin. All the time, he's seeing himself in that coffin. He said, I saw the seasons change at the cemetery. And he said, the thing that changed everything for him is when he finally came to the place where he saw himself with what God's word says. What does this mean? It means the reason the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5 was healed is because she was pursuing the right picture that she had on the inside. The picture she had in every other area of her life and and had received for these 12 years that she had this issue of blood was that she was unclean, unworthy, unfit to be around any other human and therefore denied human contact. But she changed that picture. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Think about what she said What she said was, I can have something more than I have now. And what did it do? It created the picture of healing and health on the inside of her. So now all she's got to do is act on it. She said, she saw, and now she's doing. She acted on the picture that she saw on the inside. If I could just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Well, you know what her action has to be then. She's got to get to where his clothes are. If I can just touch his clothes, the hem of his garment, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be whole. Why was she healed? Do you know that the power of God went into her, as the story tells us? Jesus turned around and asked, who did, who did this? Who touched me? Everybody's touching him, but only one person touched him in faith. Only one person touched him because of the picture they had on the inside. And it produced in her life the picture that she saw. When Jairus comes to Jesus and says, My little daughter lieth at home sick of the palsy, but come lay your hands on her that she shall live and not die. Whatever he's heard of Jesus, whatever prompts him to go to Jesus has to be related to the power that Jesus has shown in healing the sick previously or prior to that point in time. So what does he see? Well, the sickness and the doctor and all the 
religious people that were gathered at his house, I'm sure helped him along with the devil to see the picture of death for his daughter. But he chose to break that stronghold. He chose to cast down that picture, that image that he had on the inside, and see something else. He saw his daughter live, and she lived. Over and over again where the Bible says Jesus spoke to people in his earthly ministry, and he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. He could just as easily have said, I know it would have been confusing, but he could just as easily have said, and it certainly just as easily means that he's saying according to the picture you have on the inside, according to the picture that you're acting on, be it unto you. You remember Abraham? Romans chapter 4 tells us about Abraham that he didn't look at the condition of his body or Sarah's. He considered not his own body now dead, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. But looking under the promise of God, the NIV says it this way, looking under the promise of God, the word of God, in other words, he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. What does that tell us? If it refers to and, and uh, correlates to the principle that we see in Joshua chapter 1-8, it means he started saying the right things, to see the right things, to act on the right things. Here's the reason that's important. The reason being a doer of the word is of utmost importance is because you'll never do anything other than what you see on the inside. Children of Israel spying out the land came back and they saw them. Uh, they declared that they saw themselves as grasshoppers. They had grasshopper pictures on the inside. That's certainly not what God had said to them about the land or them uh, taking the land. But they ignored the picture of God's promise, created by God's promise. And they let the physical circumstances define the pictures on the inside of them. So they said, we can't do it. Well, they, they were right. They couldn't. But they couldn't, not because it wasn't God's will. Their inability to take the land wasn't because God didn't mean it when he said the land is yours. Their inability to take the land means very simply that they had the wrong picture. They had a picture of failure on the inside of them because of how they judged the people and the walls around the cities. So rather than inclining their ear unto God's sayings, they allowed the devil in the circumstances to create an image, a picture on the inside of them that they could have cast down but chose not to. So what happened? They forfeited the promised land. That generation wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years until everybody died off from age 20 and up. The next generation, their children, took the promised land. They did what their, four, their mothers and fathers, their parents, had said they couldn't do because they kept the right picture on the inside of them and acted according to that. Folks, it's all through the Bible. It's everywhere you look in the Bible. And the principle is still the same. Take the word of God, incline your ear unto his sayings, speak the word of God to yourself for the purpose of creating the right image. 
Now, here's where I think a lot of times people have made mistakes. And maybe it's our fault because we don't teach this specifically or, or whatever. But there's a danger in this. There's a danger in talking about this too much because it can come across and people can get the idea that faith is just a formula and nothing could be further from the truth. Now, there are certain steps to faith, but it's not a formula. See, folks, if you don't believe God honors his word, if you don't believe that God has exalted his word above his name, meaning his power, if you don't realize the importance or the purpose for God giving us his word through a relationship with him, then your formula won't work. I think a lot of people fail before they even get started because they've got the wrong picture of who God is. Prayer is something that they think they've got to finagle out of uh, something out of God. They don't realize that God wants us to have what Jesus provided for us more than we want it. So it's a right relationship. I believe this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you of my Father which is in heaven. That's relationship. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh unto God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How do you come to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him? Through relationship. And that relationship is important because if you don't have the right picture of who God is, meaning his love and his willingness to do for us anything and everything that we need, his provision for us in any and every area of life, if you don't understand that, then you're not going to be able to create the right picture on the inside. If we don't understand that God's on our side, we'll never have the right picture on the inside of us. Well, how do we create that right picture? The right pictures are always created by saying. What you say is the picture you're going to have on the inside of you. Now, I started to say this a minute ago. Let me, let me get back to it. What seems to me, you judge it for yourself, and I don't claim to have all the answers, but after 31 years of pastoring this church, it seems to me that I keep running into the same things over and over again. So I assume that those are, are principles or common things that, that occur in people's lives. But like I said, you judge it for yourself. It seems to me that a lot of times the confessions that we hear people make concerning healing finances or whatever sound to us like it's faith that's taken root in their hearts and is being spoken out of their mouths to affect a change in their lives or in the world around them. When in reality, most of those confessions are a part of the meditating in the word to get the word down on the inside of them. Now, what would be the difference in the confession of healing or finances or victory or whatever? What would be the difference in the confession of putting the word on the inside of you, letting it take root in your heart, and being the word spoken with power like Jesus cursed in the fig tree and effecting a change? What's the difference? They're both going to sound exactly the same. But see, what happens in many people's situations, maybe even with outsiders, family members will see somebody confessing healing in the face of sickness and disease, and they see that their confession does not change things overnight. 
And so they assume the word doesn't work like that for everybody. When what they fail to realize is that confession was not coming out of their hearts yet. That confession was to put the right picture and the right words on the inside of their hearts. They're growing in strength so that when they do speak it, the fig tree dies for them just like it did for Jesus. How can you tell the difference? James said something that was interesting. James was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, and he said this. He said, hast thou faith? Have it to yourself and unto God. In other words, the work of putting the right pictures on the inside of us by speaking or meditating in the word should be a private work. Should be a private work. And then when it comes out because it's a part of our heart, because we are rooted and grounded in love, in those situations, again, in my experience, I don't claim to have all the experience that I'm going to have or need to have. But in my experience, I found, it, found out that some of those things just come automatically out of your mouth without having to think to try to say them. See, when Jesus cursed the fig tree, he's not building his faith. His faith was already built. It was already developed. It was already taken root in him. He was the word made flesh. And so when he said it, it was because of the deep-seated roots that the... That the word of God had in his life. Well, the same thing can be true for us, but we're not going to get there overnight. We're not going to get there overnight. And so what do we do? We speak the word of God as a part of meditating in day and night. We speak the word of God so that we see the right thing. Because whatever we see on the inside of us, that's what we'll act on. Think about what Abraham had to see on the inside of him if he gave God glory for it before it happened. He's got to see it as a finished work. When Abraham was challenged by God to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, we see from the the Bible account that he saw Isaac coming down that hill with him. How did he get that picture? How did he have the, the strength of faith to believe that? Well, because God had made a promise that his seed, his children, that would number as the stars of the sky would be through Isaac. Isaac wasn't even married yet at that point. So since God had promised that his descendants would be from Isaac, Isaac can't die. No matter how sharp the knife is that he's going to use, no matter what the method, no matter what it looks like, no matter what he felt like, and I'm sure he had apprehension about it all the way up. But he knows Isaac can't die. Think about how we could apply that to our own lives. Just like Isaac can't die, we could come to the place where we can't be sick. We can't be held back by sickness and disease. We can't be held back by poverty and lack. You've got just as sure of God, sure a promise of God concerning those things that he had regarding Isaac. What we say produces what we see. What we see produces what we do. And it's our job to bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. Judge every thought, every mental image that comes into your mind. 
judge it according to what the devil, uh, according to what the Bible says. That way, you'll know what the devil is saying to you, and you'll know what God has said to you. Is this making any sense at all? If it works on the negative side, like at the Tower of Babel, think about the power of God available to work on the positive side when we do something and endeavor to work together in unity, saying the same thing, seeing the same pictures, and acting on the same truth. Imagine the power of God that's available to the church if we just simply do that. Nothing that we imagined would be impossible to do. And God would be on our side. He'd be backing us up, pleased that we're operating according to his plan and purpose. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Father, that you have created us in your image with the ability to communicate in pictures, mental pictures, so that we can act on the truth of the word. Father, we know that you watch over your word to perform it. Not one part of, your, of the, the things that you've ever told mankind, not one jot or tittle as it's referred to, will ever fail. Because you cannot fail. Therefore, your word cannot fail. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have to allow your word through meditating in it, through speaking it to ourselves, to create the right pictures, the right image, the very image that you have of us. Lord, our desire is to grow so that we see themselves, see ourselves the way that you see us. So that we can do the same things that Jesus did and affect the world around us. We thank you, Father, that as we keep your word first place in our lives, everything we do prospers. Everything we set our hands to is blessed. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, let's all stand. Say this after me. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Now, just take that. Just think about it. We start saying that to get that mental image on the inside of us to act like we're more than conquerors. You know what we'd do? We'd conquer everything, every situation. Same thing's true with every other scripture. Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we're healed. If we meditate on that, we can create the right picture of divine health and restoration so that we act on it and receive our healing and be restored. Works the same way in every area. What we say is what we'll see. What we see is what we'll do. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. You're dismissed.